you know what Advent uh, means, don't you? Advent means the arrival, the coming. You know, Advent season is a time that we, we celebrate for four Sundays. This is the third Sunday of Advent. We have four Sundays leading up to Christmas, and those four Sundays of the Advent season are about us as a church longing for the arrival of Christ. Now think about it. There's a past and a present and a future component to that, isn't it? That, that there's this past that the world was longing for the Savior to be born, and 2020-ish years ago, Jesus came to the earth, the Savior given so that all humans could know God. That's the past part of it. But we also celebrate in this Advent season, we celebrate a spirit of worship that we're saying, we long for you to come now, Jesus. Come meet us right now where we are, right in our midst. Don't you already translate that almost imperceptibly? Because as you walk through your daily journey you're wanting Jesus to come and meet you. It isn't just about a baby and you know that. And then there's this future component because every year Christians throughout the world spend an entire month of their worship year saying, and Lord Jesus, we, we, we long for your arriving again. We long for you to come back again and make things as they should be. Bring your kingdom in its fullness. So that's what Advent is. That's what Christmas is. That's why we celebrate it. It's such a huge deal in the life of the church. It's a longing for the arrival of Jesus, the way the world did before he came, the way that we do now for him to meet us where we are, and as we long for him to come again. And this series is about the coming of Jesus and what it reveals about God. That the, the coming of Jesus reveals things about God and, and Art spent the first two weeks of Advent, he said that the coming of Jesus reveals God's solution, which is our hope, the hope that we have in heaven. He said the coming of Jesus reveals God's heart, which is his unconditional father love for us. And this morning you see that I want to talk about the coming of Jesus reveals God's mercy. The coming of Jesus reveals God's mercy, which we're going to talk about brings us joy. We're going to light the candle at the end of our gathering this morning. That pink candle is the joy candle. The two purple candles, the three purple candles in the three weeks of Advent, uh, they're purple because they represent solemnity and, and, and a penance and a longing and an unfulfilled, a not yet to our experience with God. And they, we do a third week, this joy candle, three weeks in, and we go, <sighs> enough of the longing. Let's, let's pause and remember and experience the joy, the good news of Jesus among us. And so that's why it's pink. Isn't that cool? Did you know that? Did anybody know that? Did you know that's why it was pink? Yeah. Let's go home. We all learned something. <laughs> but the revealing, the coming of Jesus is, 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 is God's mercy to us. And man, the joy that God's mercy brings. This is right in the classic Christmas texts. This idea of good news, the mercy of God being such good news that it brings us great joy. It's right in the classic Christmas text. We're going to read the Christmas text. We've got a special guest to read our, uh, our text uh, this morning. It's Linus. So let's have Linus read our text this morning. <laughs> Isn't that great? I love the dramatic pause. Don't you love the, the quality of the animation and the, and the whole thing in 1965 when that, that debuted December 9, 1965? And in fact, there's a story about how the producer and the lead animator of the, of the show were telling Charles Schultz, you can't just quote the New Testament. Like, you can't just read the Bible out on, on the airwaves. And Charles Schultz famously said, if we don't, then who will? And that has become one of the most famous Christmas stories, uh, you know, on our TV that 
You know, the whole point of the cutesy Charlie Brown Christmas was going to be, hey, Christmas was getting, remember the, the story? Christmas was becoming so commercial, and they were all saying, gosh, it's just so hard, it's so commercial. That was 1965 message. And uh, so what's the real meaning? And Charles Schultz says, how do we tell this story without saying, this is the real meaning? And if you look at that text, that there's this, uh, look at, at uh, uh, Araceli put that text up for us, just that one verse. But the angel said, this is right in the middle of Luke chapter 2, the angel said to them, do not be afraid, I bring you, what is it? I bring you what? Good news that will cause great joy for all people. And this good news is that today in the town of David, a Savior has been born. The message of Christmas, what Linus was trying to say, what Charles Schultz couldn't figure out any other way of saying except just reading the text, which is that the mercy of God has that he sent a Savior, and this is good news, and that good news brings us joy. This is where joy comes from. This is the meaning of human existence, that we experience the joy of God's Savior coming into our lives. I bring you good news that brings great joy. Look at that text again. Just... The good news is that today a Savior has come, the Messiah, the Lord. The good news is that God sent a Savior because the world is in need of rescuing. The good news is we use this word mercy because God in his mercy just unilaterally said, you need a rescue, you need a Savior, you need a Messiah to come. And so he did, he sent him to our aid. Through the mercy of God, his Savior has come. Today in the town of David. So we use this word mercy because that's exactly what it is. God said, this is what you need. And, and I want to express this idea, this good news, the way that it, in which the scriptures portray it in at least three really cool, powerful ways that the scriptures talk about mercy. The mercy of God is expressed in, in these ways. That he has, number one, that he has rescued. He uses this word rescue. The mercy of God comes in that he has rescued us. He's rescued us, and he's rescued us from a foe that's too strong or from circumstances that are too great. I added that, those words in parentheses because that's really the, the meaning of this word in the scriptures, this rescue word, meaning it's the idea of when we're up against something that's too great for us to overcome ourselves, so we need a rescue. We literally need somebody to, to come and get us because we are unable to combat that foe. We're unable to get out of that circumstance. We're unable to rise above the difficulty that we're facing. This is the good news that he has rescued us by sending Jesus. Man, do you remember that powerful story last June of the 12 boys from the soccer team in Thailand who were stuck in the cave? That is a, that is a powerful story with their uh, soccer coach. So 13 people, they wandered into this cave after soccer practice. They rode their bikes. They went for a hike. They went two and a half miles into this cave, four kilometers into this cave. It was before the first monsoonal rains. Were, they were a, a week or more away, but sure enough, it started raining. They didn't know it because they were in this cave exploring, and the water began to rise and filled up and blocked their way out. They spent, uh, it, was an all, it was over a two-week ordeal in the dark with the, the air um, uh, beginning to go bad, and uh, there was no way out for them. They tried to figure out, I mean, you know, how to swim through the, the muddy, black, pitch black water. They couldn't get out on their own. There was nothing that could happen. And remember, the world rallied because that is a perfect example of they were completely helpless on their own and needed to be rescued. And the story of their rescue is unbelievable. If you've read kind of a, a longer version of what they had to do to go in and get these boys and the risk that they were taking. And in fact, one 
Thai Navy SEAL died in the effort, but because he ran out of air, because the, the trip back and forth through these things were, you know, they got it down from 11 hours to nine hours, but it was in this amazing story of rescuing four kilometers through the dark, submerged different kinds of places that were submerged. They, they were, they had, their air was running out. They were getting hungry. This is the idea of what rescue means. When you see it in the scripture, the scriptures that he has rescued us, it's that idea that there was no way out in and of ourselves. There was no way out of our predicament. Look at some of these scriptures involved. Look at this Colossians uh, chapter 1 verse that uses the word rescue. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. Does that not just sound like that story I told? Only in a spiritual reality. He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. If I had room, I was going to put other passages in there. There's a Galatians passage. This is grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, listen, to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of God our Father. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. That's Galatians 1, if you want to go look at that later. Psalm 18 says he, re- I mean, Psalm 18 says he reached down from on high and took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes which were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of disaster, but the Lord was my support. He brought me into a spacious place and he rescued me. And listen to this phrase, because he delighted in me. This is a God who loves to find us in our place where we are absolutely helpless and rescue us. What's the scripture say? I have good news, the the angel announced. I have good news that will cause great joy. The rescuer has come. Today a savior has come and he rescues us. That's one word that the scriptures use to talk about this. And friends, that's our foes, our circumstances will be too great for us to handle on our own. That's the story of life. Ben alluded to it in his little share. Our foes have always been too great. Our foes are too big to overcome the difficulties we face, and they forever will be. And so we need a savior. We know what our foes are. We've talked about it before. Our flesh, our sin, the junk that happens in the world just because it's a fallen world. And then we have a spiritual enemy, the devil and all his dominion that come at us to take us out of the game. And in all three of those things, we are being beat down, helpless. And we need a savior. And he comes and he rescues us, the text said, from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. That's good news. Is that not good news? And so that's the joy. So mercifully... Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born, and we, friends, can experience that joy if we live recounting that we're rescued people. I think about what those boys are going through every day telling that story. I was in the dark, and I didn't think I was going to make it. And up out of the darkness came a light through that murky water, and it was a marine diver. (laughs) It's interesting the way that story is told, by the way. They sedated the boys. They're like, listen, you can just rest, and we're going to bring you out. Isn't that good news? That's how we can live if we know that we're rescued people. There's another verse that the scriptures use out of the mercy of God. Not only is he rescued, but the scriptures say that that the mercy of God has sent the Savior to redeem. Isn't that a good word? That he has redeemed us. There's a redeeming 
And, and this redeeming is about recovering ownership. That's, the, na- that's the, the definition of the word redeeming. That ownership has been recovered, has been restored. We see, we were meant to belong to him. We were, we were created to be God's children. We were created to be sons and daughters of the king. And we have sold our birthright by living according to every other master out there, including making ourselves Lord and King of our lives. That's the human condition. That's the fall of humanity. That we said, no, he's the king, but never mind. I want to rule my own life. And we've sold ourselves short by selling ourselves to other masters, to other lords, to other kings. And this is about he's going to come and redeem and recover that ownership. Restore us to our right ownership. Look at these texts that I've put out there for you from uh, the New Testament. Titus chapter Two has this. For while we wait for the blessed hope, this is a, there's some great stuff in this long Pauline extended uh, uh, passage. But while we wait for the blessed hope, which is the, the appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus. And now he's going to talk about Jesus. Who gave himself for us to what? Redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own. Now notice, the redemption is that he was going to buy us back to do what? To make us his own. You see where ownership is restored? We're brought back under the lordship of Jesus, under the fatherhood of God, under the, 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 uh, the, uh, the rule and the reign of the king. Whatever metaphor you want to use, we're brought back to who we were originally created to be. Look at this next text in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you receive from God? You are not your own. You were bought. You were purchased at a price. You see the redemption part? You were purchased. Jesus bought you. So honor God with your bodies. You are not your own. You belong to God. So there's this idea that Jesus came and purchased you out of the situation that you were in to make you belong to him again. And then similarly, uh, uh, there's another verse here, uh, Revelation chapter 5. This is the angel, this is the heavenly beings, the heavenly creatures in, this, in the scene of heaven that John got the privilege to see. And they sang a new song saying, you're worthy to take the scroll. Remember, this is all those beings gathered around the throne in worship of God and the Savior, Jesus. And they sang, you're worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. By the way, if you got one of those study Bibles from me, you got to go read this and figure out, what, what is that? What's the scroll? What are the seals? Did you pick up your study Bible that we gave you? Um, somebody donated all those study Bibles for you who signed up. There's a few left that haven't been picked up back there. But you got to go look at this. This is so good. It's a contract. It's a new covenant with God. And nobody could make that covenant, put, could put that covenant into effect. And so the heavens are crying, oh God, who's worthy? Nobody's worthy to open the seal. Nobody is worthy to bring about the grace and the love and the rescuing and the redeeming of God. Nobody is worthy of that. Who's worthy? And the lamb at the center of the throne was the one. And the angel said, you're worthy. You're worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, look at it, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. And then you've made them to be God's people. You see it? You've made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they'll reign on the earth. We were purchased to become God's people. That's good news. Is that not good news, church? 
Ah, it's such good stuff. You know, we are such fans of the the, uh, IJM ministry, International Justice Mission, and ministries like it that are going out and eradicating slavery in the world. And this is one of the reasons it's so easy to feel that connection to this idea that God is the one who is redeeming people, rescuing people and redeeming them to their rightful ownership. It just is right in terms of the kingdom of God. I mean, even if you're a a uh, non-believer in the Jesus story, it's just right. Like, that is wrong. But this, we connect to it on this deep spiritual level. And so, you know, IJM is out there and they're changing systems and laws so that slavery doesn't happen. They're exposing illegal uh, operations so that, you know, if if the laws aren't protecting people, they'll go in, or the laws already are there, but people are operating under the law, they'll go in there and expose it. You can go on their website and just read story after story after story. But, and, and they're even rescuing, to the last point that I made, they're even rescuing people. They'll go in the middle of the night. Come on, I want that job. I mean, there's like ex-law enforcement guys that are working and they're traveling all over the world. They're going in the middle of the night and they're taking girls out of brothels and rescuing them. It's the best thing in the world. It's just such a Jesus thing. But there's also, when all those things don't work, they and organizations like them will also just redeem people out of slavery. They'll go pay people to get those kids, to get those adults, those women and children out of slavery. There was a non-IJM story that I just read this week um, about a a ministry, a guy, I think I have his name, John uh, Ebner, who who tells this story about being in the Sudan and... and, uh, and he just contracted with these Sudanese, I don't know if they're slave traders or bounty hunters or whatever they are, but everything's just about the dollar over there. And so because they couldn't get protection from the Sudanese government and because the UN couldn't figure out how to get in there and figure it all out, he just went in there with American cash from us who pay five bucks for a cup of coffee. He just went in there with dollars and just started buying people back. And I just read this one story of 316 mostly women and children who the slave trader said, yeah, these guys will sell them to you. And so he gave him, he gave him 15.8 million Sudanese pounds, which is 15 grand, which is 50 bucks a person or two goats, and just saved child after child after mother after woman after man. I know, isn't that stuff so great? And then he restored them to their families as free people. That's the picture. That's this word in the New Testament that he redeemed us to then be his because we didn't belong to them. We didn't belong to our false gods. We didn't belong to, belong to sin and death. We didn't belong to ourselves. We didn't belong to wickedness. We didn't belong to the world. We belong to the king. And we've been restored into this relationship with him. And that, friends, brings joy. The angel said, I bring you good news that will cause great joy because the Savior has come. And he's rescued us and he's redeemed us. Right? Preach. That's the story we tell ourselves during Christmas. That's the story we tell ourselves every single day of our lives. He reclaims us to our rightful place in him. Third, the last word, and this is really related to the, the uh, second word, but it, it has a difference, and which is why I listed, is that he has ransomed. Ransomed is actually has a different meaning. Redeemed is about recovering ownership. Ransom is l- the part of that story that I told about liberating from captivity. Ransoming is about taking out of captivity, about a payment, a cost 
that, that frees one from captivity. And I know it's really similar in meaning, but when you look in the Scriptures, it actually has a, a, a somewhat of a different meaning. Look at this text in Hebrews chapter 9. For this Crete reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant. Remember what the new covenant is? The new covenant is an agreement of grace. God said, here's the new covenant. I'm going to send Jesus to take care of all of the sin of the world. Every sin you've ever committed, every, every sin that will ever be committed for the entire world, I'll place upon Jesus at the cross. And so if you receive that gift that let him take your sin, then I'll receive you to be in my family, clean, reborn, no cost to you, all the cost to me. That's the new deal. That's the new covenant. And for this reason, Christ is the mediator of that. He's the one who brought that about, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. That's eternal life starting now, now that he has died as a ransom to set them free. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance now that he's died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the old way. Christ paid for it. He paid the ransom, and so people can now have this eternal inheritance. He died. That was the ransom. That was the price that was paid and so you see verses like, and I don't have it here, but you go read Romans 6 and read it with your great study Bible. Romans 6 is so full of things like this. For sin shall no longer be your master because you've, set, you've been set free from sin and death. What good news it is, you guys, that the mercy of God sent the Savior to pay the price to set you free. He paid the price to ransom you. And I got to tell you, this is the point I want to make here with ransom. And he was delighted to do it. It was so costly to him that he took on the sins of the world, but he did it and was delighted to do it. He was delighted to pay the cost. It didn't matter how costly it was because he wanted you to become who you were created to be. He was delighted to do it. It contrasts the story I read. Do you know the, the story of uh, J. Paul Getty III, the grandson of the billionaire oil baron? He was kidnapped in 19, I don't know what year it was, uh, in Italy, he was 16 years old. He got kidnapped for a ransom by these Italian gangsters, and they called dad and grandpa, and they said, we got him, $17 million, and we'll give him back to you safe and sound. And the grandpa's like, yeah, no. <laughs> he wasn't going to pay to ransom his grandson out of this dangerous uh, kidnapping situation. So the kidnappers were like, well, we didn't see that coming. This is his grandson. He's a billionaire. So they lowered the ransom to $3 million. And Grandpa Getty said, well, I'm paying 2.2 because that's the number my accountants tell me can be tax deductible under this scenario. <laughs> Not our God, my friends. <laughs> Not our God. No price is too steep. No wall is too high, right? No barrier is too great. No ocean is too wide for him to come after you to rescue you and redeem you and pay the ransom that you can become that child of his that he designed you to be. That's the good news. 
The angel goes, I have got good news that is going to bring great joy for all people. And here's what it is. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you, the Christ, the Messiah, who is the Lord. May we be people who receive that good news, who live in the fact that we're rescued and we're redeemed and we're ransomed. Two quick good news verses, and then I'm done. Look at this verse from Luke 6 and then Matthew 13. Luke 6 just says, Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because why? Because great is your reward in heaven. Friends, joy comes from the fact that the Savior has brought us into the kingdom and we are now heavenly beings. So leap for joy. The context of this passage is the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is talking about when things are not going well, when you're persecuted for him, when things are not going well, even though you're a Christian. He goes, you leap for joy, for great your reward in heaven. And this is this encouragement to me in Matthew 13. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure. This, king, this heaven thing we've been receiving This kingdom is like treasure hidden in a field. And when a man found it, he hid it again. And then what happened? In his joy, he went and sold everything he had to purchase this field. He was so overjoyed at the good news that he was going to do whatever it took to live as that person, to live in the kingdom to live underneath the lordship of the king, to live underneath the love of the father, to live underneath the rescuing of his new master, Jesus. Whatever it took, friends, as joyful people, we go out, we go after it, selling everything to live with our savior and to live for him. Ben, why don't you guys come out and we're gonna worship in response to this message. As I said, the, the purple candles represent the, the longing and the, the waiting and the, the missing. What is n- not yet? For sure, there's a, isn't it true that there's a now but not yet? There's now we're experiencing the kingdom. Now we're experiencing freedom. Now we're experiencing redemption and rescuing and ransoming. But not fully. One day it'll be full, friends. Come on now, that's good news. And we long for that. But the purple candles represent a penance and a, and a longing and an unfulfilled longing, a solemnity to this waiting season. But the third candle is pink. It's a respite this week. This, this week, the church gets to take a break and to say, oh God, how joyful this message is. This is what is to come, what we're already experiencing. And so as I light this joy candle, church, as One of your pastors is a shepherd of this flock gathered together. I proclaim that Christ has come. And so we are a people of great joy, rescued, redeemed, and ransomed. Thanks be to God. Let's stand together and respond in worship.